listening to the Stoic Solutions podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life inspired by the ancient tradition of Stoic philosophy from Greece and Rome. I'm your host, Justin Vakula. Visit my website at stoicsolutionspodcast.com. This is episode 101, Philosophy and Poetry with Dr. William Irwin. Dr. Irwin and I talk about his new books, Always Tao, and Both And, Finding Parallels with Stoic Philosophy. William Irwin is the Chair of Philosophy at King's College in Pennsylvania. Irwin is best known for having originated the philosophy and pop culture genre of books with Seinfeld and Philosophy 1999, The Simpsons and Philosophy in 2001, and The Matrix and Philosophy in 2002, with many other books following. Find links to Dr. Irwin's books and contact information in the show notes. On with today's episode. All right, thank you for coming back on, returning to the podcast for, I think it's the third appearance now. Thanks for having me, Justin. It's a real pleasure to speak with you as always. And we're here to talk about your two new books. So can you give a short introduction to your two new books? Yeah. Uh, So during the pandemic, I I was able to uh, do something I had always wanted to do, and that is write some poetry, uh, actually get back to writing poetry as I had when I was uh, much younger. And uh, I'm very fortunate that uh, this uh, bore fruit in, in two publications, two books. Uh, one is uh, titled Both And, and it's published by Wisdom Work Publishing. Uh, and the other is called Always Dow, and it's published by Shanty Arts both collections of uh, very short poems uh, that uh, hopefully blend together in a way that uh, readers will enjoy philosophy and poetry. All right, great. And for listeners of the podcast, I'll have those links in the show notes so that hopefully listeners can buy the books afterwards. So we're going to talk about some of the poetry in the books. We'll talk about particular verses that you have and find parallels with Stoicism and, of course, bring in other traditions, like you mentioned Taoism. That was a focus of one of your books. So one particular line, Stoic mind in control of response to what's beyond control. Yeah, uh, so that's pretty explicit, right, in in terms of Stoicism, which is the focus of this this podcast. And uh, let me just backtrack uh, a, a little bit uh, before addressing that directly and say something about the combination of uh, philosophy and, and, and poetry, right? Which uh, the title of one of the, the books is Both And, and it's an allusion to what I'm trying to do here. And uh, that is write uh, poetry that is philosophical or uh, do some philosophy that is poetic. And uh, the two, I think, naturally go together uh, and bring out the best uh, in each other, right? So a little bit like uh, peanut butter and chocolate, why not bring uh, the two of them together? Uh, They're both great on their own, but hopefully uh, there's a different flavor uh, that comes out when you you combine the two. And uh, part of the idea, too, is that uh, they're sometimes seen as, uh, as not a good combination because so much philosophy uh, demands argumentation and and poetry is not the best vehicle for uh, arguing. Uh, But I think that's that's sort of a limiting perspective on what philosophy can be and even should be. And so uh, really what I'm trying to do in these very short poems is present philosophical ideas and, and in a way uh, that can uh, trip a switch uh, or uh, maybe uh, 
light up a light bulb for somebody to see things uh, in a different and, and philosophical way. And uh, so the, the first line uh, or a couple of lines that you mentioned, all, all the poems, by the way, in the book uh, or both books are, are quite short. And uh, they all actually fit uh, in, a, in a tweet. Uh, and I've been uh, doing that. I, I'd love for people to buy the books and support the publishers, but I also uh, tweet the poems uh, on a daily basis and people can follow me uh, on Twitter uh, at William Irwin. Uh, 38. Uh, and uh, so in a short tweetable poem, uh, we can have something uh, like the lines that uh, you uh, kindly started us off with, Justin, right? In control, a stoic mind, in control of response to what's beyond control. Really, uh, this is something that I hope uh, will speak to people. Uh, what's beyond control is virtually everything that isn't in our minds. And, and these days, maybe more uh, than uh, usual, we're aware of how much uh, in uh, the world is outside of our control and uh, really doesn't respond well to uh, our wishes. Uh, but what we can do if we cannot control, say, uh, a pandemic uh, or a political leader is control our response uh, to that uh, uncontrollable uh, event or person. And that really is the essence or the gist of stoicism, I think, right? That you can be in mm -hmm. control of your own mind even when uh, the things outside of your mind are not going as you might like. Sure, that's a, that's a major focus indeed. It's how are we going to respond to the external world? What kind of thoughts are we going to have about it? How can we thrive? How can we prosper? And to be pretty close to that other line, another one that you wrote, suffering is inward. Yeah, suffering is inward. Uh, th this certainly fits with Stoicism, but it also has echoes of uh, Buddhism, perhaps uh, even more clearly, right? Where uh, the Buddha, uh, first noble truth is that all life is suffering uh, and then goes on to suggest that there's a way out of suffering. And uh, part of what's implied uh, in the, uh, the line from the poem is that uh, suffering is not the same thing as pain, right? Uh, I can be in physical pain and not necessarily suffer. And of course, I can suffer without being in physical pain. Suffering is more like uh, the interpretation of the pain, whether the pain be uh, physical or mental or emotional. I can choose my attitude toward it. Uh, I can choose to suffer uh, and find it uh, unsatisfactory, or I can uh, perhaps even transform it and use it as, uh, as fuel uh, for or motivation for some other action or uh, simply transcend it. Now, of course, uh, as we know from the podcast and as we know from our study of stoicism, uh, easier said than done. It takes lots of practice. Uh, and effort to get there. Uh, but I think it's nonetheless a worthwhile reminder uh, that the suffering is inward uh, and uh, to some extent chosen or endorsed rather than enforced on us. Right. The Stoics write a lot that we can create problems for ourselves, whereas one person could respond well and see something as a minor inconvenience. Another person will see it as a catastrophe. So it's really our interpretation that's going to be the most important thing. That's right. That's right.
Yeah, it was at the poker tables the other day. A player was lamenting, talking about, oh, every talking to the dealer. Oh, every time you deal to me, I always lose. I lose so much with you. And the the cards are just random. The dealer is not controlling what cards are coming out. But for some reason, this player is focusing on a particular dealer that with this dealer, I've lost X amount of money. And of course, that's the dealer's fault, but not the player's fault for playing the hands in certain ways where they could have made folds or they could have played the hand more aggressively, right? There are all these different interpretations that you can have. And if one were to ask me, oh, what are your five most winning dealers? I'm not even paying attention to that, but this player has a particular focus and they're creating their own suffering. Well, that's right. And it's funny how much life is uh, is like poker and how much uh, poker is like stoicism, right? And and we choose our attitudes towards the uh, the outcomes, which are often quite beyond our uh, control, right? You can have a bad beat in poker. You can uh, you can play a hand well and lose. You can uh, play a hand poorly and win sometimes, and mm. it's outside of our control. Of course, the, the natural tendency uh, is to see that, uh, well, it's skill when I win, and it's uh, bad yeah. when I lose, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it, very, very interesting. Very interesting, and it's one of my favorite lines from Epictetus to behave as the dice counters that the dice will fall as they will but how we can use those results is is our own choice how to apply skill that's right no no dice uh, I mean no poker in uh, in ancient Rome but they had uh, they had the dice right and that tells the tale just <laughs> as well right right so it's all sorts of things of luck and chance and skill that happen in life that happen in games that we could use in life. It was a, a story that I had on July 4th of all days. I was driving back from Washington, D.C. and got rear-ended on a highway. And it, it turned out to be the case that the driver admitted fault and I was able to get reimbursed by insurance and get a new vehicle. So many people would have said, oh, this is terrible. I got in an accident. But I, I found it as a fortunate circumstance. Yeah, yeah. That that reminds me of the, uh, the old Taoist uh, tale. I can't recall uh, all the ins and outs, right? But it's basically uh, the uh, uh, the farmer gets a horse that seems like good luck. Uh, it turns out <laughs> the son breaks his leg, fall from the horse, bad luck. Son doesn't get drafted for the war, good luck, right? It goes in and out and in and out, right? Uh, so at the moment, uh, Justin, it looks like it was good fortune uh, that you uh, got rear-ended. But uh, we don't know how things will play out from here. <laughs> right, right. So trying to find some of these parallels with philosophy and day to day life, I think is, is really important to find measure of gratitude and not just work up that life is terrible. And that there, there's really no hope forward when circumstances are more uncertain. That's right. Or ambiguous. Yeah. And to, to go on to another line, you have collective effervescence of crowds causes madness among men. Yeah, uh, so I, I like that phrase. It actually comes from the, the sociologist Emile Durkheim uh, in talking about religion, uh, that uh, there is this collective uh, effervescence. Uh, and certainly that's true uh, in a religious crowd or, uh, or any crowd, uh, at a concert, a sporting event, etc., uh, that there is, there is a sense of something uh, where the uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, and uh, the uh, other part of that uh, that part of the poem there 
of course, alludes to uh, to Nietzsche, who remarks something to the extent that uh, madness is rare among individuals, but common among crowds, right? Uh, and so oh, this is something I think that uh, we need to be wary of, right? Maintaining uh, our own composure uh, and individual individual sense of things uh, amidst uh, crowds, right? And, uh, these days, crowds sometimes are virtual crowds and uh, internet mobs, uh, as well as mm-hmm. the uh, the crowds of uh, human bodies together, right? There's something intoxicating and fun about being part of a crowd uh, in, in many cases, uh, but it sure has its dangers. Right. And and online, I was listening to a conversation with Bob Saget and Gilbert Gottfried, comedians, of course, and Bob Saget just recently died as we're recording here in early January. And he was talking about a Twitter mob became after him. And after two days, it just went away. And some people would think, oh, all these people are going after me online. So the world has ended. Life is terrible. But he just ignored it and moved on with life and they they went away. So it was it was good for him to not make a catastrophe or capitulate in the face of people just making objections to comedy. Yeah, no, that that that's great. I didn't know that story about Saget. Uh, but uh, it, it certainly validates the, the wisdom of don't feed the trolls. And uh, mm-hmm. John McWhorter, uh, the, uh, the linguist and uh, uh, public intellectual, uh, has similar advice about, uh, and he's been attacked uh, many times, right, of just not feeding into it. Uh, it goes away uh, eventually. Right. And the Stoics, particularly Seneca, talk about the madness of crowds that, if we're around disreputable people, we can be swept up and we could make poor choices. There's there's always that peer pressure, right? That other, other people are just encouraging us to do things that we know aren't virtuous, but yet we just go along anyway or sometimes don't speak up in the face of injustice. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. And, and as we're talking about this, it, it sheds a little light on, on Epictetus for me about I mean, sometimes, uh, as you know, Epictetus comes uh, across as a bit of a spoil sport and a bit of a da- of a downer in his choice of examples and language. And you know, he cautions against going to the theater too much or sporting events and this kind of thing. And uh, that always struck me as, oh, come on, you have to live a little and have fun. <laughs> and and I still think that. Uh, but when you contextualize it uh, for this particular insight that being among a crowd uh, is is more likely to lead to you losing uh, touch with your own ruling purpose and your own uh, individuality, uh, you can see why those examples may have come to mind for him. Right. And for the Stoics, moderation was really important to not forsake all entertainment, but yet to be responsible that today okay we can say play video games for a few hours on an off day and that's great but if it's going to get to the point where playing like 15 hours a day and not accomplishing other life tasks and not making a living we're not responsible for others right that 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 could get really bad so it's the extremes that we should avoid right absolutely and it's very easy nowadays with social media to just be scrolling and responding to everything and the something is wrong on the internet syndrome. And <laughs> that doesn't seem to be a great use of time either. So yeah, finding that good balance 
and the, the good people and the good groups out there. And it's not to be elitist, but we, we should be mindful of where we're spending our time and who we're spending our time with. Oh, that that's absolutely right. Choosing and, and selecting that, uh, the, there's that overword used word of uh, of curating, right? But we really need mm-hmm. to curate our own our own company, uh, the people uh, who we spend time with, both in person and online as well. So I'm I'm a big advocate for restricting. I, I don't I don't uh, abstain from social media, but I really uh, re- restrain my uh, amount of time used there and uh, sites that I'll look at and for how long, et cetera. Good. And to move on to another line, you write to enjoy the present, invest in the future. Yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I'm intrigued that you picked that out uh, because I'm, I'm not sure uh, that it's it's great stoicism. So maybe you'll have a different take on it uh, than I do. I, the, the present is, is such a short moment. All right. I, w- I would like to. Uh, I had said to someone in passing, I'd like to expand the length of the uh, the present moment uh, that as a, as a New Year's resolution. I don't tend to make those, right? Uh, but uh, sometimes in staring at a fire or a body of water, uh, the moment, the present moment uh, expands for me. And this occurs in, in moments of flow and uh, being in the zone with things as well. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I find that uh, I'm often enjoying the present moment most when I'm doing something uh, that actually invests in the future. So uh, I'm in between uh, semesters of college teaching right now and doing uh, preparation work uh, and taking care of some things uh, that uh, I know I won't have quite the time to do. Uh, when uh, the semester arrives. And so that's a kind of an investing in the future that makes me feel like I'm uh, making good use of the present as opposed to, say, uh, you know, dittering away time uh, on social media or something uh, where I'll feel like this is time's not flowing. uh, I'm not enjoying the moment. So I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I I was thinking about some of the Stoic texts talking about work and wealth, and that some people can get so caught up in a rat race of keeping up with their neighbors and spending all this money on stuff that appears to be frivolous, like, okay, you've accumulated all this wealth, but what are you doing with it? Are you buying these fancy houses and fine foods and things that you really don't need? And are you really still happy? at the end of the day, or you maybe can invest that money and have more peace of mind in the future where you won't have to toil day to day to buy stuff that you really don't need. So they're talking about using our time well and finding some profession that brings meaning in life. Well, I I like that, Justin. I like the way that that, that you uh, interpret that. That does fit with the way uh, that I like to approach life. Instead of, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, the most hardcore minimalist, but I certainly uh, don't have any desire for fancy uh, cars or uh, clothes or any of that kind of thing. I'd much rather have time. And so uh, investing uh, instead of uh, in material goods in, in time that I may have, whether it's this cherished time that I have now between semesters or in the summer, uh, or also, as you suggest, in terms of literal investment of money, uh, in my case, uh, so that hopefully I'll have uh, a nice 
uh, long retirement uh, at some point. All right. And to move on to another passage, existence is given, life is chosen. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, uh, th those could seem to be uh, mere synonyms, right? Existence and life uh, for a human being. Uh, but I, I suppose that what I'm trying to draw attention to in, in that line or those couple of lines uh, is that, uh, well, what, what you have sort of by default is existence. And uh, that, that's the given. And some people seem uh, content with that or don't know what to do much beyond that. Uh, but life uh, is potentially something that we uh, endow with meaning and purpose and uh, really uh, enjoyment as well. Uh, but that doesn't happen just automatically. Uh, it's chosen. Right. And uh, of course, this gets back to stoic mindset, right, where uh, we don't look to uh, just what's given, uh, but what we choose. Right. And the stoics are very open about what the life direction should be, that it's not, oh, just because your parents had a certain profession or a certain way of doing things doesn't mean that you have to do it, too, that you're just thrown into this caste or profession or whatever happens to be it's like find what works for you find your role in life and excel at it yeah that's that's right and uh as you uh, explain it that way I, I think of connections between stoicism and existentialism as well where the, the emphasis is so much on choice and authentic choice and, and not simply uh following uh, what other people may want for you Yes, and a lot of Stoic text is reflecting on death, saying that life is marching on, and what are you going to do with that? We don't want to be in a situation where we're in old age thinking, oh, I missed out on this, I missed out on that, or just putting off the things that we want to do for later in life, and maybe we just don't get that opportunity that life could end at any time, that life is fragile. So knowing that, we should be more inspired to find meaning and do what we would, what we would like to do. That's right. Uh, life isn't just waiting for you there somewhere uh, off in the future. You need to choose it now, and we never know how long we have. Of course, uh, as you were saying that, Justin, I was thinking of the uh, uh, the Latin phrase, carpe diem, seize the day. And uh, <laughs> uh, you would think that that's such a common phrase, everybody would know it. But I was mentioning it in, in class this past uh, semester seize the day and i got on on several uh, exams students writing cease the day kind of the opposite right just give up yeah right? <laughs> but you know you, you have to laugh about it otherwise you cry yep yep just some uh mis misunderstanding there right <laughs> yeah <laughs> great and to move on to another line you write do your duty do your best let fate take the rest yeah, but as you read that back to me, it doesn't uh, sound quite as good as uh, as it looked to me on paper. The rhyme <laughs> makes me cringe a little bit, but uh, the message uh, I, I certainly uh, endorse. And, and actually, uh, as we're uh, we're uh, mentioning connections between Stoicism and other traditions, I think the image uh, that I had on my in mind with this was actually Hindu uh, and the uh, the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, where uh, Krishna uh, is telling the warrior Arjuna that he needs to do his warrior duty, 
uh, and go into battle. And uh, in the, the the phrase that I love from uh, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, to cast off the fruit of action, right, which is very much in line with Stoicism. You do your duty, you do it to the best of your ability, uh, and then you let the chips uh, fall where they may, right? You cast off the fruit of action in some way. Uh, it's not even your business uh, the way uh, that things may turn out, right? Uh, using more uh, stoic-friendly language, fate takes the rest. Yes, there is an acceptance in that, that we're going to do what's in our control and the, the outcome might be outside of it. We talked about poker earlier as being an example, and the Stoics write about an archer, that the archer could take very careful aim and try to hit that target, but the path between the arrow and the bullseye, there's a lot that's going to go on there. And okay, we won't always hit that bullseye, but we're going to strive and do our best to try to get that outcome, but we shouldn't be so attached to it either that, oh, I missed, so what a catastrophe. It's like, okay, well, maybe we could use that as an opportunity to do better, or take solace that we did the best that we can in that given moment. That's right. Uh, I mean, you nicely point out, too, the way that we don't even always know what the best outcome would be, right? It seems obvious, maybe, uh, that winning the game uh, is the uh, the best outcome, but maybe losing it, uh, in the case of the poker game, makes one of your opponents... Uh, uh, think that they know something about you that they don't really, and it leads to a bigger win uh, on a later hand. And I mean, life just plays out that way oftentimes too, where uh, you know it uh, it turns out to be a blessing in disguise when something wished for doesn't uh, come through. Good. And as I mentioned, there's this idea of fulfilling a role in life and trying to understand what we're good at, and it's it's not just one path. I I know Epictetus writes about this idea that everyone should be a father, that everyone should have kids, but maybe that's not the best decision for everyone because that's giving up opportunity in some other space. And maybe you can be someone who goes about the world and teaches others, for example. But if you had a child, you wouldn't be able to do that because you would be bound to those responsibilities. So there's not just one path for everyone. And don't, don't be shamed into taking a certain societal path just because other people say that that is the thing to do because there, there are just multiple paths that can lead to fulfillment and virtue. Yeah, that's right. I mean, to use the, the term from, from economics, there are opportunity costs uh, in, involved with everything, right? There are trade-offs that we make in choosing something no matter how good. Uh, and I, I like the way that uh, you put that, Justin, in talking about multiple paths. Uh, it, it makes me think about, uh, for example, in the realm of romantic love, right, and this idea uh, of uh, whatever you're at the person you were meant to be with and, and you know, how limiting and uh, problematic uh, that is, right? We don't have uh, a single soulmate or person that we're meant to be with, and uh, there are always other possibilities, uh, much as we may... Uh, uh, cherish the uh, the ones that we've uh, the choices that we've made and the people uh, who we've been with and uh, that idea expands beyond just that to uh, to what you nicely uh, talked about in terms of uh, choices and paths we can make we can walk and we don't need to walk the ones that uh, other people may be pushing us into and there are multiple possible paths that any person might walk uh, that uh, could be equally fulfilling or nearly as fulfilling. 
yes, there could be a scarcity mindset that people get caught up in as, oh, well, this person is the one for me. And if it doesn't work out, maybe they try to get back into that relationship or they stay in relationships that really aren't too good for them, that the partner might be abusive or just a bad fit. But, oh, just because I grew up with this person, I should continue this or, oh, I'm already so invested, so I can't walk away. And then they're they're just not happy. And then that's that's not a good way to go. Yeah, life is a lot bigger than that, right? Uh, a lot of other possibilities. All right. And to move on to another line, you write, a happy life is yours for the making. Yeah, uh, I, I was thinking about that. Uh, when when you, you had mentioned you might want to talk about it, because uh, I, I think I undercut the stoicism uh, in the poem with, with the subsequent line about uh, something like a fragile heart is hers for the breaking, uh, <laughs> which may... Uh, may make uh, for a rhyme and, and make some poetic sense, uh, but uh, maybe it only seems like uh, the heart is uh, the other person's for the breaking, right? Uh, uh, that r really the truth is uh, that we all can get over heartbreak, uh, and uh, more broadly speaking, outside the, uh, the realm of romantic love, uh, it really is the truth, right, that the happy life is yours for the making. Uh, happiness is something we make. It's not something uh, that is given to us or that uh, we need particular circumstances uh, to conspire to give us, right? Uh, it's, it's inwardly chosen. Uh, and uh, as Epictetus and other Stoics testify, it's possible uh, to live a life that is happy uh, even in the midst of the worst possible circumstances. Yes, and heartbreak, disappointment, whatever you might want to call it, it's it's inevitable. We're going to experience some setbacks in life, and it really helps to be prepared for those and to not give up just because there was some setback. Yes, yes. Yeah, the Stoics write about how life isn't always like a picnic. It's not going to be all this pleasure back to back that it's not going to always go the way that you want it to. And it's important for us to lower our expectations and not just think that everything is going to work out the way that we want it to. It's just not a realistic way to live. That's right. I, I mean, uh, it, it's not to say that you have to have uh, a negative outlook and expect the worst, uh, but allow yourself to be uh, surprised by the best, right? And uh, certainly uh, it, it's, uh, it's a thrill and a pleasure when things uh, work out well and you're not already expecting them to or demanding uh, that they do mm -hmm. in your mind. Yeah, we can't force reality to mold to our expectations, wants, hopes, dreams. We can try to shape it, but we, we don't have all that control for sure. Yeah, I think that's an important uh, uh, distinction to make in Stoicism, that we can, we can help to sort of uh, shape the way things may happen uh, with a positive outlook uh, and approach, and we can certainly influence things, even if we can't control them. Uh, the uh, very real-world uh, example that I uh, often use in teaching students about Stoicism and distinguishing between control and influence uh, is their grade in the class that they're taking with me at the moment, right? They have tremendous amount of uh, influence in, uh, in bringing about the grade that they want and shaping the experience that they have, but they don't control it ultimately. 
uh, things uh, are involved that are outside of their control, the questions that happen to be asked on the exam, uh, etc. But then again, too, there, it's uh, like Epictetus's story of the uh, the dinner party, right? Uh, where if you're uh, invited, it means you paid the price, uh, whether that be in flattery or whatever else. And if you if you're not invited, uh, you have something in. in uh, place of that right uh you didn't have to flatter the host in this case your grades you have tremendous influence in terms of paying attention in class taking good notes and studying uh and uh you uh really increase your chances of getting the grade that you want but if you don't do those things you have the time uh that uh wasn't invested uh in studying and you can do with that with what what you want Yep, and just don't be the student showing up at the last moment asking for extra credit, right? <laughs> Did I miss anything important? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that one too. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I wasn't able to make it to class. Did I miss anything? Okay. <laughs> you, miss, you missed the class, yeah. <laughs> All right, and to move on to another line here, you write, reality leads to humility, leads to gratitude, leads to happiness. Yeah, I guess I was cho uh, channeling my inner Yoda with, with that one about, uh, I forget how that one goes, about uh, hate and anger leading to the dark side or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, th this is something uh, maybe a little bit uh, less obvious, uh, concatenation of uh, uh, ideas uh, that I found to be true, right? When, when I look at uh, reality square on, uh, it does lead to humility because I realize uh, how fortunate uh, I am and uh, how, you know, lucky uh, I am that, that certain events conspired or went the way uh, they did. I could be dead however many times over uh, or be in, uh, in horrible situations uh, based on uh, maybe some poor choices that I've made and things that, that could have happened. So, I, I mean, this is true of anyone, even if they choose well, uh, that looking at reality leads to, uh, to humility, I think. And uh, with humility, uh, we can cultivate gratitude, right? Because uh, I realize that uh, uh, lots in my life uh, is there to be grateful for, because it easily could have been otherwise. And, and to me, gratitude leads to happiness. Gratitude, uh, if cultivated, is uh, better than any drug. I mean, if they could bottle gratitude or put it in a pill, uh, <laughs> you know, that would uh, rival uh, what, whatever. Uh, uh, um, see, I, I, don't, I don't need those little blue pills because I can't even think of the, uh, the, the, the generic or uh, brand names for it. Yes, and with depression, it's typically um, negativity bias that people have, that they're paying attention to all the things that are going wrong, but not to the things that have gone well or are going well. So it can be very easy to get caught up in that negative thinking rather than appreciating the positives that you have that we can often just take for granted. Yeah, that's right. And so th this is uh, a little prevention rather than cure. I mean, there are lots of stoic uh, extensions uh, in the realm of cognitive therapy and uh, and things like that, uh, that allow us to to root out or talk back to negative thoughts. Uh, but uh, in addition to that, why not do a little of uh, little prevention and focus on the uh, the positive by uh, cultivating gratitude? Yes, and to move on to another passage, you wrote: "The world is full of people who mean well but do harm." <laughs> 
Well, choose your own uh, example there. Uh, I, I see uh, lots of them uh, all around me. And uh, I, I think it is, it is helpful to keep in mind that uh, a lot of the people who uh, we see as, as doing harm actually mean well. Uh, in their mind, they really are uh, trying to do something good, uh, even though uh, the, uh, the, the results, the consequences may not be that way. Uh, and, you know, I put that forward, too, as a reminder to myself and to the reader not to be one of those people uh, as best we can to realize uh, that good intentions uh, don't always prevent harm. Yes, I believe it's a passage from Epictetus of a man who's in the gymnasium. He's exercising, but another person accidentally bumps into him. And it wasn't that he intentionally did that, but rather that that it was a mistake and we shouldn't view the person as hostile, as an aggressor. But maybe it can be okay to just stay away from that person a little bit in the future. And that has parallels to everyday life that we're going to cross paths with people who are going to maybe not make the best decisions or accidents happen. And we, we just have to be prepared for that and hopefully brush it off and move along. That's right. And, and th those examples are, are pretty innocuous. Uh, the, uh, the person who accidentally bumps into you or who kind of means well with what they say, but it turns out to be Oh, uh, a little bit uh, irksome, uh, or potentially irksome if we let it be right. But uh, there, there, are, there are more noxious examples out there too. <laughs> but we, we don't need to, <laughs> to dwell on those. Yeah, maybe something like prohibition in the United States. That oh, well, look, we can ban alcohol. We can stop the manufacture of this, and this is going to lead to a better society. But it turns out that that was not good in practice. Maybe for them, it was a good idea in theory. But as it played out, it, it led to more problems. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think that's true of prohibition of, of pretty much anything. And uh, in particular, when you have the righteous uh, crusader very convinced of his or her own uh, justice and, uh, and everything else, they, they really do mean well, uh, but end up doing harm. Yes. And to move on to another passage here, you write that death is inevitable, but dying is optional. Yeah, I, I guess that's the uh, the uh, other side of the coin or the companion piece to the one about existence is given, life is chosen. Uh, death is inevitable, right? And uh, the Stoics are keen to remind us uh, about that for sure, right? Uh, but uh, dying, uh, and of course in, in poetic terms, I, I mean this, uh, in a couple of ways, right? Live, dying uh, can be a kind of way of living where you're really uh, not uh, living as a, as a full uh, human or to your full human uh, potential. Uh, but it can also be the sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, chosen attitude uh, that you take uh, at the end of life, whether it be uh, in the midst of uh, pain and suffering or whether it be simply biding uh, your time at the end of life, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, and of course, uh, to tie it into to yet another uh, issue of uh, concern to Stoicism, uh, it can also refer to uh, choosing to end one's life. Uh, we can uh, end life that way and not 
for example, endure a period of, uh, of long and prolonged pain uh, without much quality of life. Yes, the Stoics write that the door is always open, that we have that option to exit, assuming that the circumstances are warranted. And it's not to say a willy nilly like, oh, I stubbed my toe today. <laughs> That's it. I'm just going to opt out. But rather, OK, maybe you have some incredibly damaging disease and you, you might have to be put on some life support. And it, it's not quite a life just being in a room and maybe not even being conscious that maybe maybe it can be better to end it early. Yeah, no, that's right. And the Stoics write that some people have, in fact, ended their lives early, that if you're just going day to day and it's all toil and it's just of your own making, is that really a fulfilling life? Like, what, what are you doing with your time? How are you using it if you're just exchanging all of your time away and not having a good quality of life? Yeah, that, that's it as well, right? Quality of life is, is so much more important than quantity. Another passage similar, you write that life is short but long enough. That comes toward the end of, uh, of, one, of one of the books, and uh, it, it, says, it says like this poem, right? Because all the poems in the book really are uh, <laughs> quite short. And I, I mean, this just reflects uh, my, my musing on life right where it, it's both true that it is short right time flies and uh we don't really have uh all that long uh but i i think in a way we have long enough uh we certainly uh the, the idea of living for a thousand years or ten thousand years or some uh extremely long period of time as has been dramatized in uh, mythology and uh, and other stories uh, that's really uh, not that great of a prospect uh, so uh, I mean what we all generally or most of us would like life to be longer than it is but maybe in many cases it is quite long enough so if I think about uh, if I'm fortunate enough to live to be 80 and I'm 52 or coming up on 52 now, uh, that doesn't seem long enough, but it seems short. But it does, in some ways, 80 years seems to me like a pretty good lifespan. It helps you to sort of organize and prioritize and feel a certain urgency uh, in life. Right. So uh, short, but long enough. Yes, again, the, the quality being more important than the quantity and hopefully not getting stuck in that end of life of, oh, I missed out on this, I missed out on that, that we can take the time in earlier age because, yes, who knows what can happen. We can suffer a grievous disability tomorrow. Hopefully that's not the case, but while we still have reasonably good health, we can get out there in the world and accomplish. Yeah, no, that's right. And it ties back to what we were talking about earlier and right, enjoying the present by investing uh, in the future, right? Living in a way uh, that takes account uh, and makes the most of the moment uh, and in a way that uh, maximizes really a quality of life uh, over the long run of the short life that we do have. Yes. And another passage here, you write about anti-fragility, anti-fragile, infect me stronger. Yeah, so uh, some listeners will probably recognize the uh, the title of Nassim Taleb's book, uh, Anti-Fragile, right? Where he talks about things that actually uh, improve uh, under duress and uh, under uh, 
well, uh, under harsh conditions, right? And uh, the human body uh, is one of those, uh, at least under many circumstances, right? Where uh, exposure to germs uh, boosts the immune system, vaccinations uh, to some extent work on this uh, uh, principle as well. And, and the idea uh, right for for Talib with the the phrase anti-fragile is that it's not the same thing as uh, being resilient, right? Uh, to be resilient uh, could be just to bounce back to where you were, but actually to improve uh, under uh, conditions of uh, well infection or harshness or uh, stress or uh, duress. Uh, and uh, this, of course, also really has, uh, has so many things uh, do. Uh, it's uh, echo uh, or earlier uh, placement in Nietzsche, right, uh, whose quintessential line is that that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Of course, that's not true of absolutely everything, uh, but it can be true of things, and it very much is uh, in the, uh, the Stoic mindset uh, to take uh, an injury uh, or an insult uh, and use it as a catalyst to growth rather than diminishment. Yes, and in the Stoic text, there is this talk of the pilot that he can show his skills in the storm, that if he hasn't encountered some sort of adversity, then how would he know the width of his skills? Or Hercules, I think there was talk of as well, uh -huh. like, well, what good would he be if he hadn't had the challenge? Would he really be good if he just lied in bed all day and um, just just relaxed all the time and it was just a life of lounging? That, that really wouldn't have been the moment to achieve excellence or the wrestler of wanting a competent opponent rather than just being able to bulldoze over everyone and not really having any sort of challenge. Yeah, that's it. A challenge uh, is what uh, pushes us to be better. Yes, and I think it was Seneca too who said that the only the madman would welcome disease and injury, but we're we're not welcoming that. We're not looking for something that's going to overtake us, but rather something that's going to be appropriate for our circumstances that that we can we can deal with. That's right. There, there's something to be said with being in touch with reality, not biting off more than you can chew or taking an opponent <laughs> uh, uh, who's too far beyond uh, your own skill level. Yes, and the sickness and injury will eventually come, right? So we can be prepared for that and hopefully face it well. Yeah, we have experience to draw on, right? Something we're certainly not going to avoid. And finally, you write, mental chatter gets stuck on what does not matter. Well, I, I suppose I can only speak for myself, but I, I bet uh, th this rings true for, for lots of people. Uh, that uh, when I, I let the, uh, the conversation uh, uh, in my head go unmoderated, uh, they get up to some crazy talk there. Uh, and, <laughs> and a lot of it uh, gets stuck on stuff that really does not matter. Uh, and of course, what really matters uh, is pretty, uh, uh, pretty basic uh, from a, a stoic perspective. Uh, my, my, you know, uh, there's uh, the uh, the book Ten Percent Happier" uh, by I think Dan Harris, which is about meditation uh, and uh, me mental chatter. Of course, gets uh, in the uh, the head going pretty good uh, when one is trying to to meditate and 
clear the mind or focus on uh, a mantra. And uh, I don't know if you you know the book, Justin, but but he wanted to to title it uh, "The Voice in My Head Is an Asshole." Uh, and uh, th- that pretty much uh, sums it up for me. Uh, and uh, uh, too often, uh, it's this sort of play-by-play announcer who's narrating uh, the world and has something snarky to say about this person or that person or that event. Uh, that's the mental chatter uh, that can get stuck on the repeat loop uh, and really uh, is stuck on stuff that doesn't matter. Yes, we could be our own worst enemy in some cases. Yeah, well, that that's it, right? Uh, it can feel it can feel fun uh, to indulge in uh, you know the mental chatter on the stuff that doesn't matter, but it's it's sort of like that uh, uh, candy bar sugar rush uh, that uh, leads to a crash uh, and uh, maybe some uh, extra calories uh, that I really didn't want. Uh, and don't need and would have been better off without. Yes, we can also get in our own way if we're trying to have perfectionist tendencies that we're so upset when we make what we perceive to be a mistake. And, you know, we can't be 100% accurate. We can make a good effort at things, but we can't set standards way too high for ourselves because we're just going to make disappointment inevitable. Uh, I like that too, right? Because, uh, as you say, right, sometimes we we can... uh, say things uh if uh, you know if 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 anyone said some of the the things to me out loud that i say to myself and criticize myself uh about in my own head uh you know i'd lose my stoic cool pretty quickly i think uh, <laughs> so so yeah beating up on ourselves and, and being unkind to ourselves is, is also that sort of mental chatter that doesn't matter Yes, and it's coming to our own rescue in many cases because other people won't always do that. So it's having this accountability. It's having the responsibility for our our own lives and that hopefully some friends, some family, others can be around to help us. But ultimately, we're always with ourselves. That's it. No matter where I go, I take myself along. (laughs) Yep. All right. That's the end of the passages that I have. Were there, were there other passages or other themes in your book that you would like to share with listeners? Oh, I, I think we've covered quite a lot, uh, Justin, and I, I really do appreciate the chance to have this conversation with you. And uh, it's, it's true that I didn't set out to, uh, to write uh, poetry about stoicism, but there are a lot of uh, stoic themes in the, uh, the two collections of poetry that we've been discussing some passages from. And so I hope uh, listeners who are interested in Stoicism uh, will take a look at the books or follow me on Twitter. And uh, I'm always glad to, to hear from people and uh, discuss ideas, discuss philosophy, discuss poetry. Yes, and it's a nice thing that people can draw from all kinds of different traditions and find something that works well for them. And even in the Stoic texts, the writers say, okay, well, don't just take our word for it that just because we say something it's true, we can find truth in other traditions as well. And over time, things will just need to be modified because we have more information. And it's certainly something with, with Buddhism. There's this talk, this idea of if you find the Buddha in the streets, kill him. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, right. You, you don't need idols, uh, you, you know, and uh, we're not uh, fixed and set with some sort of uh, dogma, but hopefully... Uh, open to uh, to growth and open to change and expansion. 
Yes. And has writing helped you in day to day? Have you have you felt more on your game or more reflective? Yeah. Or more reflective after writing? Yeah. Well, th- thanks for asking that, uh, Justin. I, I write in a, in a journal uh, in a reflective way on a daily basis, and that has been tremendously good for me. I've been doing that for probably 25 years. Uh, the, uh, the, the poetry writing was uh, something different for me and something uh, creative, and, and it sort of harks back to something uh, that you were saying before, right, uh, about, uh, you know, we, we sort of find what we're looking for. And uh, it's funny when I, when I set off, uh, you know, w- with the idea that I was going to write poetry and hadn't written any in I don't know thirty years or something like that. Uh, it, it it certainly seemed like, well, where am I going to get it from, <laughs> right? But when, when I started uh, with the idea, the mindset that I was going to write poetry, all of a sudden I was hearing little snippets of conversation. Uh, and ideas were coming and I would jot things down on a post-it note or whatever. And, and it all sort of, uh, came that way. Uh, and, uh, so it was really a wonderful, uh, creative, uh, experience and, uh, in its own way, uh, a, a stoic practice, uh, of finding what I look for. All right. Very good. And to wrap up here, if you could again, share, your information, Twitter, other ways people can reach you, and how to find your books. Yeah, thanks again, Justin. So uh, on Twitter, it's at William Irwin38. Uh, the books, Both And by Wisdom Work Publishing and Always Dow by Shanty Arts Publishing. Uh, probably best found uh, in online booksellers like Amazon or whatever your preferred uh, online uh, bookseller might be. I'm also always glad to uh, hear from people through uh, email. Uh, my name, William Irwin at kings.edu. And uh, if somebody uh, were to want a signed copy or copies of, uh, of books, I'd be glad to hear from you through email and set things up that way or just, uh, just be in touch and just be uh, in discussion through email. All right, and that's W-I-L-L-I-A-M-I-R-W-I-N. That's it, at kings.edu. K-I-N-G-S. All right, very good. Anything else that you'd like to share with listeners? I think that's it. I just appreciate the chance to talk with you again, Justin, and uh, uh, good luck and thanks for your continued good work with the podcast. All right, thanks. And any upcoming projects or things that you'll be involved in? Well, I, I, this uh, this may or may not be uh, relevant, but I, I have a book on uh, Metallica coming out called "The Meaning of Metallica" uh, that I'm excited about, and uh, yeah, that'll be coming out in April. All right, and what classes are coming up for your next semester? Well, I'm, I'm teaching a lot of intro philosophy as I uh, as I do, and I'll be teaching a section of Eastern philosophy, and so some of the uh, themes that we've discussed here today uh, connected with Taoism and Hinduism and Buddhism uh, are always uh, on offer in that class. All right. Very good. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks again. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more content. See the show notes for more information and links surrounding topics discussed in this episode. Support my efforts through Patreon or Subscribestar, linked on my website at stoicsolutionspodcast.com. 
To receive special perks, including having upcoming guests answer your questions, custom-made podcast episodes, and private one-on-one calls to discuss whatever you'd like. Visit my other podcast at hurdygurdytravel.com to learn more how to make money, save money, and travel the world at next to no cost with credit card rewards, deals, and loyalty programs. Use affiliate or referral links to support me at no extra cost to you. Thanks to generous patrons and fans of this podcast who help support my work. Have a great day. Thank you.